At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail, so you're ready for the boards and the wards. Secondary amenorrhea, by definition, is a woman who has had menstrual cycles and has now stopped. The definition of secondary amenorrhea is three consecutive cycles without having any menses. Real consideration should be considered for one of these diseases when there have been six consecutive cycles missed. But no one is going to wait six months to find out if someone's pregnant. So what I want you to feel is there's the, the usual stuff, the stuff that you should begin the workup for at three months, and then sort of the other stuff that's not so common that you might do once the original testing is negative. That doesn't make sense. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. First, I want to give you a list of the things that you should consider most often, and then we're going to review the hypothalamic-pituitary-ovarian axis. Let's start off with the most common causes of secondary amenorrhea. And by far, the most common cause is pregnancy. And to assess for pregnancy, you get a urine pregnancy test. Most patients will do this for you. A woman skips a period, she wants to know if she's pregnant or not, she just buys one over the counter but you should repeat it to make sure. The second most common is hypothyroidism. And hypothyroidism can be screened for with a TSH. Remembering that hypothyroidism usually has an elevated TSH. Hypothyroidism is too little T4, so there's no feedback inhibition on TSH, which should be elevated. Then you get into disorders of prolactin. And prolactin can mean prolactinemia, an elevation of prolactin in the blood, or a prolactinoma, a problem in the brain. Regardless, you're going to get prolactinemia, and the way you screen for that is with a prolactin level. The thing is that more than prolactinomas can increase the levels of prolactin, and that list is quite long. We're not going to go through it, just consider that elevations in prolactin may lead to amenorrhea. The fourth thing is medications, and you should review their meds when they first make their complaint. And after all of these are negative, that's when you consider the hypothalamic-pituitary-ovarian axis. And that's going to be the mainstay of this lecture. But first, I want to get into a little bit about the physiology to help solidify why you look at these things first. The first four are the things you should consider. First one makes sense. You're not supposed to be having cycles when you're pregnant. Let's talk about the axis in relation to the second, third, and fourth ones. The hypothalamus stimulates the anterior pituitary. Anterior pituitary stimulates the ovaries, and they have their function. Now, the hypothalamus is supposed to secrete GnRH in a pulsatile fashion, which leads to FSH and LH being secreted. That makes the axis flow downstream. But the hypothalamus also secretes TRH. Now, for the purposes of this discussion, anything that's listed in red is a thing that is going to stop bleeding. Red for stop, green for go. Anything in red will stop bleeding and cause amenorrhea. Anything in green will stimulate the axis and promote menstruation. 
TRH is supposed to stimulate the anterior pituitary to make TSH. And its downstream target, of course, is T4. T4 usually inhibits TRH. The anterior pituitary also makes prolactin. And most of this discussion of physiology is going to be on prolactin. Prolactin inhibits GnRH. Elevations in prolactin inhibit the thing that causes the axis to go. So anything that increases prolactin is going to cause GnRH to be inhibited and menstruation to cease. That is, elevations in prolactin induce amenorrhea. If you have hypothyroidism, you lose the T4, you lose the feedback mechanism, and more TRH is made. That causes an increase in the prolactin and the cycles shut off. If you've got an anterior pituitary tumor, a prolactinoma, simply making too much prolactin, that will do it as well. Prolactinomas usually present with galactorrhea and amenorrhea. So you see those two together, you know you're going after prolactin. But something else also can cause an elevation in prolactin, that's the medications. Normally, dopamine inhibits prolactin. If you put someone on a dopamine antagonist, specifically where we're going here is the atypical antipsychotics, you will disinhibit prolactin, thereby turning off the axis. Which is why when you come in, you should look at these most common things. Look at their med list for atypical antipsychotics, get a prolactin level, and get a TSH, which is your screening tool for hypothyroidism, but know that the TRH is driving anterior pituitary to produce prolactin. And of course, derangements in thyroid hormone, because it's so important, can lead to amenorrhea anyway. Once you've ruled out the typical stuff, that's when you want to give consideration to problems of the axis. So let's look specifically at the axis. The hypothalamus stimulates the anterior pituitary. Anterior pituitary stimulates the ovary. The ovary stimulates the endometrium to proliferate. The hypothalamus secretes GnRH in a pulsatile fashion to the anterior pituitary. FSH and LH are secreted to stimulate the ovary to make estrogen and progesterone, which stimulates the endometrium to proliferate and eventually bleed. Let's work top-down on the differential for consideration for secondary amenorrhea. And the idea here, primarily, is that reproduction is not essential to life. So only a fit, functioning person with all other endocrine function intact should be reproducing. So life and growth generally come first. This is discussed a little bit more in the anterior pituitary, specifically panhypopituitarism. But the point is that the body is naturally going to divert resources to cortisol and TSH, and even growth hormone, well before FSH and LH. The idea being, if your person's not alive, it can't reproduce. So the body naturally, teleologically, shunts resources away from the ovarian axis in order to make the cortisol and thyroid axis functional. At the level of the hypothalamus, what you're looking for is stress and anxiety. Emotional stress, difficulty at work, that's enough to cause a girl to miss a period. 
chances are not going to lead to three consecutive period losses. Instead, you're looking for physiologic stress, things like anorexia or extreme exercise and weight loss. That is to say, if you identify the person who's training for marathons, who's losing a ton of weight and burning a lot of calories, or the person who's a CrossFit commitment freak, those people might not have regular periods because they're putting such physiologic stress on their body. If you see that, you may not need to go any further. The anterior pituitary can have a problem with an adenoma, and whether that is a, a prolactinoma or another tumor that's consuming the anterior pituitary is irrelevant, or if the pituitary is dead, as in the case of Sheehan syndrome or apoplexy. If an adenoma is growing and taking up space, the remaining pituitary is going to shunt resources to GSH and cortisol. Sheehan syndrome and apoplexy are essentially necrosis of the pituitary. Sheehan syndrome is very specifically the death of the pituitary following a tumultuous delivery. Lots of blood loss, and then it simply gets necrosis of the pituitary. Apoplexy is when the pituitary tumor outgrows its vascular supply and then infarcts. So you're going to have death of the pituitary because of a tumor, death of the pituitary because of delivery, or an adenoma that's growing consuming a bunch of resources. In any case, the pituitary is going to shunt away from FSH and LH. At the level of the ovary, you can have re resistant ovarian syndrome, called Savage syndrome, or you could have menopause. And menopause is normal after 40, but is called premature ovarian failure if it's too young, that is less than 40. And lastly, give consideration to the endometrium. Can it even proliferate to begin with? Things like Asherman syndrome, unintentionally doing this, or ablation, we intentionally do this, can lead to endometrial proliferation problems. And remember, this person does not have an anatomic defect that she began with because she already had periods. So it must have been something that we did. Either she had a lot of bleeding and didn't like it, so we put a balloon in her uterus, heated it up, and burned the uterus so it couldn't proliferate anymore. Or she's had gynecologic procedures like dilation and curatages which then end up scarring the uterus. And theoretically, multiple births can do this too. But regardless how you get there, Asherman syndrome means there's no more proliferation of the uterus. And usually it's a result of procedures leading to scarring. The way you work up the axis is in reverse. You start at the endometrium and work your way up. So the first thing you want to do is find out, is her uterus ready to bleed? And you do that with a progesterone challenge. And you only go to the next step if you don't have your answer. If she does not bleed with progesterone, you still test the endometrium by giving her estrogen and progesterone. You ask, is the uterus ready to accept the signal if it were there? Estrogen proliferates, progesterone makes her bleed. To evaluate the ovaries, what you want to know is, is the problem with the ovary itself or is the problem with the anterior pituitary? To do that, you get an FSH and an LH level. If the anterior pituitary is working and the ovary isn't, FSH and LH are going to be ramped up. If the ovary is working but the pituitary is not, FSH and LH are going to be reduced so there's no signal for the ovary. 
If you find it's an ovarian problem, you'll follow it up with an ultrasound looking for follicles. The anterior pituitary is best evaluated with an MRI. And the hypothalamus is a diagnosis of exclusion. That is, you wasted the workup and probably could have found the problem that was causing the hypothalamic dysregulation if you took a better history. But the, the test isn't going to go there. But in life, really do a history and physical and find out what's going on in her life because it may just be stress, either emotional or physiologic. All right, so someone comes in with secondary amenorrhea. They haven't had any periods in three months. Chances are they took a home-based pregnancy test and it was negative. But when they come in all the same visit, you're going to get a TSH, a UPT, and a prolactin. If you don't trust that they've actually done it, make sure they're not pregnant. If the UPT is positive, great, they're pregnant. Begin obstetrical care. We have an entire subsection called OB. If the TSH is elevated, okay, they've got hypothyroidism. They give them what they don't have. That's levothyroxine. And if the prolactin is elevated, you've got a prolactinemia. And you have to evaluate whether this is a pituitary adenoma or something else. The way you're going to do that is with an MRI. If it's positive, it's a prolactinoma. We talk about this in the medicine videos. Use dopamine agonists. Premapexal and repinerol. Generally, surgery is the wrong answer. If the MRI is negative, some other cause, chances are medication-induced because you've already ruled out hypothyroidism. Review the meds one more time. If it's not that, way out of scope for you. All right, this is the usual stuff. This is at three months. You come back, you review the results. If this is negative, then you need to really begin to evaluate the axis. And as we just discussed, this is going to begin with a progesterone challenge. If she does bleed with progesterone, the problem is anovulation and is most likely to be polycystic ovarian syndrome. That is to say, the entire axis is intact. Her endometrium proliferates under the influence of estrogen. She just needs the bleed signal. And remember, the first half of her cycle is predominated by estrogen. Once there's ovulation, progesterone kicks in. If she doesn't have ovulation, she doesn't have progesterone, and so there's only a proliferation signal. We talk more about polycystic ovarian syndrome in the vaginal bleeding lecture and in the virilization lecture. What you should look for is a fat, hairy woman who's having trouble with her periods and getting pregnant who might have hypertension and diabetes. Lots of follicles on her ultrasound, but you don't need the ultrasound. It's an endocrine diagnosis. If the progesterone challenge is positive, it's probably PCOS. You're done. 
But if she doesn't bleed, you really need to make sure that it's not the endometrium, so you give estrogen and progesterone. If she does not bleed, the problem is in the endometrium. And this is going to be Asherman's or ablation. You can stop because you know that no matter if the signal's intact or not, it's the endometrium that's dysfunctional. But if she does bleed, it means that the endometrium is fine. She just needs the signal from somewhere. It's a signal issue. And you don't know where along the HPO axis the signal breaks. And that's what you have to find out. So to start that process, you're going to get the FSH, LH, and FSH to LH ratio. The idea being that the anterior pituitary is intact. It will make FSH and LH. It means the ovary is broken, so there's no feedback inhibition. If the FSH and LH are elevated and the ratio is elevated, the anterior pituitary is intact and it is an ovarian problem. If the FSH and LH levels are normal or low, then it is a brain problem. The ovarian problems are differentiated by the ultrasound. What you're looking for is follicles. If there are follicles, then the ovary is still ready to go. It's just not listening to the signal. That's resistant ovarian syndrome, savage syndrome, which you can give really high dose hormone replacement if the person desires fertility. But for all intensive purposes, Savage syndrome is treated just like menopause. And here's the thing. If you have a clinical diagnosis of menopause, she is the right age, dysfunctional uterine bleeding, the symptoms of menopause, and the period stop, you don't have to work her up to arrive at the answer here, menopause. But if she was less than 40, it's premature ovarian failure. If she's greater than 40, it's simple menopause. Regardless, the treatment is the same. Check out the menopause videos. And then if it's the brain, you know that the best way to look at the brain is an MRI. And what you're looking for is anything positive to say that it's a pituitary issue. And you can take care of the pituitary, whether it's another tumor or if it's necrosis. You might need to remove the tumor or replace the hormones. And if it's negative, the workup was completed, everything's negative, hypothalamus is to blame, and chances are you could have figured that out from the history. So a lot of this lecture goes into not identifying the diseases, but knowing the diagnostic pathway, what tests to do next, and working out somebody who has secondary amenorrhea and paying particular attention to the levels of FSH and LH. That's secondary amenorrhea.